Amen, Kent. Thank you, brother. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And uh, if you don't have your own copy of God's Word, as we look at 753 through 811, it's just one verse of, of John chapter 7, and it's always lumped in with the rest of the beginning of chapter 8, so it should be too, too confusing when you get there. But if you don't have your own copy of God's Word, open up to page 1231 in the Pew Bible in front of you. 1231 in the Pew Bible in front of you. As you're opening up there, uh, let me just say a brief word about this passage. You look in your copy of God's Word, uh, you may see either a footnote or a bracket. Some of you may have this passage entirely as a footnote in your Bible, depending on the translation that you have. Uh, Historically, what we recognize is the earliest, and therefore what most scholars would consider to be the most reliable uh, manuscripts of John's Gospel do not contain this passage. Uh, However, I believe that it is a true story. I believe it's inspired. I believe it's the Word of God. And I believe that uh, when it was put here in John later in the transmission of the text, I think there was a reason why I think this happened. And there was some tradition, perhaps, that that led them to put it here. But I I preach it as if it's God's Word because I believe it is God's Word. Now, if you want to have a further, deeper discussion about the way we got our Bible and the transmission of the text. Let me mention two things to you. First of all, we can meet in my office and talk about that. But then second of all, I'll do a class uh, once every couple of years on biblical interpretation. So I'd love for you to uh, sign up for that class when it comes around in training you. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and stand open? Why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Scripture says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way, As the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you. Beginning in verse 53. They went each to his own house. Verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and... Placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you, be the first to throw a stone at her. Once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Let's pray together. Lord, open our hearts and minds to receive your word today. God, help us to see what you have to say, God, and apply it to our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Imagine for a moment that you're sitting on your couch. Now, some of y'all are thinking, that sounds nice about right now to be sitting on my couch. So where I am right now. But imagine you're sitting on your couch and you're sitting... Some of you might be sitting on your couch. Huh? 
just thought about that. Some of y'all are watching on TV. Imagine, though, you're sitting on your couch, but you're sitting there with Jesus. You and the Lord are sitting there on your couch. I don't know, maybe you've got a bowl of popcorn or something like that. You're sitting there together. And as you're sitting there on your couch, you look, and all of a sudden your TV turns on. You say, Lord, do you have the remote? And he kind of looks at you and smiles like, do you really think I need a remote? And so the TV has turned on. And as you're looking at that TV with Jesus, a cast of characters begin to, begins to assemble on the screen. First person that walks on the screen is a mainstream media reporter, known, well known for their bias. The second woman person that walks on the screen is a woman in a burqa holding a Quran. The third person that walks on the screen is an actor in pornographic films. The fourth is a man in a rainbow-colored pride t-shirt. Two more people walk into the screen. One has got on his Bernie for President t-shirt. The other has got on his Make America Great Again hat. Several more people then, and the pace picks up a little bit, begin to enter the screen. An abortionist, an illegal immigrant, a street preacher holding a bullhorn, an Antifa activist, a seminary student, a welfare abuser, a homeless woman, a social justice warrior, an NRA activist, an athlete who kneels during the Pledge of Allegiance, a controversial celebrity, a gang member, a young mom with a couple of impeccably dressed and well-behaved children, and so on and so forth with all sorts of different people from all sorts of different stripes, from all sorts of different walks of life. The screen fills up, and then all of a sudden the screen goes blank. They all disappear from the screen. Then suddenly other people start to come onto the screen. It's that person who mistreated you. Maybe your ex-spouse. Maybe one of your parents. Maybe that, that family member, that child, that old friend, that old business partner, that old love interest, that liar, that swindler that cheat, that bully, that pervert. You start to feel tense. Your cheeks flush and they get hot. You decide to do the only thing you know to do, which is to look at the Lord's face to get some sort of clue as to how to act. But all you can discern in His eyes and His face is mystery. You just can't get a sign on what you should do or say. And so the one thing that comes to your mind, you ask the Lord the question, Lord, who do you love? Lord, who do you love? And I believe that what we imagine Jesus saying here is our answer to the question of grace. What we imagine that the Lord says to the question, Lord, who do you love? Is our answer to the question of grace. Jesus is in the business of loving those who we have a hard time loving. He's in the business also of loving those that the world has a hard time loving. You see, Jesus is in the business, I would argue, of radical, precise, life-changing, infinite grace for sinners like me, for sinners like you, for sinners like like us. I want to show you this morning three ways that Jesus shows us grace 
in this passage. Three ways that Jesus demonstrates grace in this passage. The first is this. Jesus shows grace in a gotcha game. Grace in a gotcha game. You see, we live in a gotcha culture. Instead of reasoned arguments, we like sound bites. We relish impossible questions. We love to take out of context. We love to we love to load questions on the front end. We love to bury the lead. And we love hearing what we want to hear. We love hearing what we want to hear. And so, what we must recognize then, as we think about what life is like in a gotcha culture, we must consider the reality that we are in a place and a society and a culture where we must be Christians who love and spread and embrace the truth. You see, this is exactly what the Lord's enemies and detractors did to him. They came to him seeking self-justification at the expense of the reputation of Jesus. And not to mention at the expense of this woman. You'll notice that they only brought her. They didn't bring her paramour with her. And so here they're coming to Jesus to try to create a gotcha moment. A catch-22. Listen to what they say. Early in the morning, Jesus had come to the temple, verse 2, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, uh, commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Side with mercy, it seemed to them, and... He would contradict Moses, the prophet who gave the law, the very word of God. So do you agree with God? Or if he sided with Moses, with God, in fact, it would seem, he would cease to be merciful. He would begin to contradict himself. And on top of that, he would enforce a practice that was almost certainly not being practiced during this time and place. What does Jesus do? Jesus does what he does so beautifully. He answers them and exposes them with just a simple statement. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. He's taking their question and he's putting it back on them and they are put to shame. Let me ask you this question this morning, brothers and sisters. How often do we try to equivocate our way out of loving others? How often do we try to equivocate our way out of loving others? We so often tell the Lord, Lord, I know you said to love my neighbor as myself, but you just don't know what they're like. No, brothers and sisters, you just don't know what you're like. You, you, you don't understand the great chasm between you and God. You don't understand the, the depths of mercy that was required for God to love you. And then we think then there's this great gap between us and our neighbor, when in reality it is just millimeters compared to the miles that exist between us and God apart from Christ. Who is my neighbor, Lord, we ask, even though we know Jesus has told us to love our neighbor as ourself. But we ask the question, who is my neighbor? Brothers and sisters, I want you to know something. Before we're anything else, before our bitterness, our hurt, how we were raised, our politics, our habits, before anything else, we're Christians. 
We belong to Jesus before we belong to anything else. We are little Christ. And so often, instead of being like Jesus, we are like the Pharisees, mentally dragging some sinner before the Lord, trying to get God's permission not to love, saying to God, God, is this somebody I have to love? Is this my neighbor? We're trying to equivocate our way. We're trying to play a gotcha game with God. Even now, even now, you may be mentally dragging another person before the Lord. Lord, surely, surely you don't mean this person. But you know the answer, don't you? Second of all, Jesus showed grace in the court of hypocrisy. Not only did he show grace in a gotcha game, he showed grace in the court of hypocrisy. Verses 6 through 8, listen to what the Bible teaches us. This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Now Jesus is kneeling and writing in the dust and for centuries now there have been so many questions about what he might be writing and that's understandable because it seems like whatever he does is effective and yet the first time he's writing it's not very effective. He raises and talks, says something then goes back and that's when really people begin to leave and abandon this quest. But as Jesus is writing, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that he's doing? Why is it there? And why would John include that he was writing, but not what he was writing? These are the things I think about as I read this text. And so for me then, the best thing I can come up with when I consider the placement of this text and the rest of the context of John's gospel, and when I consider the fact that, that we were given that he was writing, but not what he was writing, my best guess is... A verse from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13. Let me read it to you really quickly. Jeremiah 17, 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. For they have forsaken the Lord. What? The fountain of living water. Jesus has just identified himself as the fountain of living water. And so I believe, given the context, what Jesus is doing, he, is he writing this verse? I don't know, but I think this is why, why we have the highlight here that the author gives us that he was writing in the sand. He's showing and demonstrating through his words that these are people who have turned away from him, who shall be written in the earth. Why? For they have forsaken the Lord the fountain of living water. These are people who are trying to justify <clears throat> themselves through their own actions by putting Jesus down. And in doing so, they've turned from God himself and embraced shame, turning away from God. Jesus' answer is brilliant because it doesn't undermine the law of Moses. But instead, what Jesus shows is he shows that Israel and these people in particular was in a moral state that would not allow justice to be carried out appropriately. I hope we understand the difference. There are such things as just punishments and just laws that it's just simply difficult for us to carry out with judgment, with justice. It's difficult for us to do. And so these men who drugged this woman before Jesus were not capable of God's justice. That's why when we look in verses 7 and 8, we see how Jesus puts them to shame. He had already begun writing in verse 6 and then verse 7. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up, quit writing, and he 
stood up. And he said to them, Let him who was without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he resumes his writing. They were not capable of God's justice. And in fact, they weren't interested in God's justice. They use a woman, a sinner though she may be, as a pawn in their game with God. A game to get out of responsibility for the things that are nearest God's heart. We love to look down our noses at Pharisees as modern-day Christians, but don't we so often do something similar? Let me ask you this question this morning. Whose sins, and be honest with me, whose sins grieve you the most? Whose sins do we care about the most? It's the sins of others, isn't it? What a scandal other people's sins are to us. What a chest-inflating, tongue-clucking, pride-strutting, chin-raising, downward-looking effect the sins of others have on us. We, We love to relish the sins of others. We love to see other people do the things we assume they do anyway. Oh, how we love to be jury and judge in the court of hypocrisy because we are so focused on the sins of others that we cease to be broken for our own sins. We cease to care about what we've done. Brothers and sisters, if you're not more broken over your own sins than you are the sins of others, then there is a problem in your walk with Christ. I believe with all my heart it's the reason that we are always talking about revival in our country. Now, I do pray for revival in our country, revival in our nation. But what do we mean when we say that? What we mean when we say that is everybody around us really needs to straighten up. I wish God would get a hold of them. When was the last time that we prayed for revival in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own churches? think God is going to send revival to his country when his people are living in open sin? If we were less concerned about the sins of others and more concerned about our own sins, don't you think we'd see God work mightily? You know, we bloviate and harumph and grandstand and strut all the while Jesus is riding in the dust, waiting, reminding us who the light is. Of the world is reminding us that the greatest scandal of all should be our own sin waiting for us to drop the stones and walk away and find a mirror to evaluate ourselves waiting on us to really square up to this question why are you so worried about their sin while you're so indifferent to your own why Are we so indifferent to our own sin when we're worried about the sins of others? Why are we so worried about everyone else's speck when we're not worried about our own log? But already, you know the answer, don't you? Third of all, third of all, Jesus shows grace in a scandalous affair. Jesus shows grace in a scandalous affair. He shows grace in a gotcha game. He shows grace in the court of hypocrisy. He shows grace in a scandalous 
affair. A lot of people interpret this passage to mean that Jesus was saying that the law is something that shouldn't be followed. In fact, some of his own detractors of the day will come to say that, accuse him of contradicting Moses. But that's not what Jesus is doing. Other people think that what Jesus is doing is merely excusing this woman's sin. But if you actually read the text and look at what's being said, it becomes clear that nothing of the sort is the case. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Another way to translate that phrase in the Greek is, Go and leave your life of sin. Now, Jesus isn't saying that this woman was not a sinner. In fact, he's recognizing she is a sinner. And he's not telling her, Just go do whatever you want if it makes you happy. You know, if it, if it makes you happy, go ahead and go do it. See, her affair remains a a scandal. Her adultery remains a sin that God despises. It's odious in the nostrils of a holy God. And Jesus asks that question in verse 10. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. But not everyone had walked away. Only one remained. And he was the only one who met the stipulation. He was the only one who had every right, instead of to kneel down and to write in the dust, to kneel down and to pick up a stone. The one that remained was the only one without sin. The only one with the right, the right, the right to strike sinners dead. The one with the ability to send this woman to hell, the one with the right to damn this woman for her sin, the one with the power, the ability, the right, the holiness, the righteousness, the opportunity to shame and condemn this woman who rightfully was caught in her sin. One remained, and it was the only one with the right to condemn her, and yet what did he offered. The one who remained offered grace. The one with the right to stone this woman offered grace. Brothers and sisters, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we are a gracious and loving people, what we're not saying is that sin is okay. And I'm with you and recognize and feel with you the, the reality that in so many ways we live in a culture and a society that's lost its mind morally. Now we've never had a golden age of morality here on planet earth ever since Genesis chapter 3. We all recognize that we've lived in a fallen and a sinful world for all these years. And yet what I want you to know and what I want you to feel today is this, is this reality that when we are gracious and loving toward those who are outside our walls, those who think differently than us, those who live differently than us, when we are more concerned with our own sins and not the sins of others, what we're not doing is saying that sin doesn't matter. What we're saying is that our sin mattered infinitely to God and he loved us therefore we can love others with the same love with which he loved us 
He's not downplaying sin even any more than the king of the universe here as he stands in the presence of one of his precious children who's gone astray. He's not downplaying sin. Jesus isn't a moral relativist. He isn't saying it doesn't matter what you do. He's saying, go and sin no more. Neither do I commend you. Do you see the way that what grace does is it impacts our hearts and enables us and ennobles us and it emboldens us to go forth and live a life of holiness before a God who loves us brothers and sisters the one who remained was the one who had the right and he's the one who offered grace sister oh precious sister made in God's image does your sin haunt you does your guilt follow you Are you like that great character Christian in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress who though he's marching toward God's kingdom carries with him a great burden? Only Jesus. Only Jesus can relieve you of that burden. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can lift that guilt from you. The only one who has the right to condemn you, brother, the only one who has the right to stone you, sister, remains by your side, and his offer to you is grace. Oh, brother, do you, do you doubt that you're even able to be saved? Do you believe your sins are too great? Do you believe that, that you've done far too much and that God could never love you? Oh, there's one who remains There's one who's by your side, though you've lost everything through your sin. There's one who's still there. Would you seek his face? Would you behold the Lamb today? Would you turn and look at him and see there's one who takes away the sins of the world, your sins, that great burden you carry, he's willing to lift it from you if you would turn from your sins and embrace him by faith today. Today, today is the day of salvation. Run to him with your guilt with your shame, all those things you thought you needed to keep from Him, to hide from Him, to hide from the world, run to Him. Run to Him and realize that He was willing to take those things the whole time. Grace. He offers you grace. A beautiful, lavishing love that you don't deserve. He doesn't leave you in your sin. He doesn't excuse your sin. And today, if you don't know Christ, if you've never trusted Him for the first time, I want you to know that He won't leave you in your sin. Today, there's a sacrifice you have to make. These things that you think are keeping you alive, these things that you think are so cherished, you'll soon realize they're the very things that are killing you. These treasures turn out to be garbage in your hands. That's what Paul says. He says, I counted all as lost for the sake of knowing Christ my Lord. Today, Jesus offers you a beautiful, lavishing love, whether you feel like you deserve it or not whether you think you need it or not he is lavishing it on you today offering you grace and as you stand there wondering where the ones who are left to condemn you are there is one that remains and he stands there waiting 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 offering 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 grace a beautiful lavishing love that you don't deserve He 
gives us grace in a gotcha game. He gives us grace in the court of hypocrisy. He gives us grace in our most scandalous affairs. Aren't we thankful for His grace? You're back on the couch. The one that remained is still by your side. And that question you ask, Lord, who do you love? Still rings in the air. And as you sit there in the tension in the moment, you're awaiting Jesus' answer to your question. And as the Lord's mouth opens, and as what he says makes it from his mouth to your ears to your brain, you realize, I know the answer. You know the answer, don't you? You realize you do. And as that transmission of the Lord's answer makes it to your brain, your heart sinks and your stomach's in a knot. And you realize what the Lord has said. My child, who do you love? My child, who do you love? Lord, my love has limits. My grace has bounds. Lord, help me love like you love. Sweet words come from the mouth of Christ. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I want to offer an invitation to you this morning you're an unbeliever who's never trusted Jesus for the first time, this altar is open to you. Second of all, if you're a believer and you say, Pastor, I've not been living a life of grace like I should, this altar is open to you. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus and we Thank you for his gospel. And God, today we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to love others with the same love with which you've loved us. Oh God, there have been so many questions and deep down inside, deep down inside, Lord, we know the answer. And so for that reason, God, we are thankful for your grace. Helps to love deep and wide according to your pattern, according to your gospel. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.